I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet, pet Sitter Confessional, Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. This week, we're talking about what you do after somebody has requested your services. You've gone through the, all the hard work of marketing and getting your name out there, and now somebody actually wants you to sit their pet. Before we get into that, we want to talk about a little bit of last week with the House Sit Diva. She talked about whether house sitting is right for you. And we thought a good follow-up episode to that would be what you do after somebody has asked you to pet sit for them. The very first thing that you want to do is to get organized. Where are you going to be storing the client's info? Where are you going to be storing the pet's info? And something a lot of people don't consider is all of the keys that you may have to be dealing with if you're going to be going in and out of the client's home. We've seen some people organize their keys on a big key ring like you would see a janitor use. Other people have a big board hung up where they hang each individual key with the dog's or the owner's name on it. Just some place that is a central location to where you're always going to know where that information is going to be. We also heard of somebody who just has them all in the center console of their car and just kind of randomly has them in there. And so we do not recommend that. That stresses me out just hearing about that. Yeah. We keep all the client and pet info in Excel and Word documents that are linked to each other. That way we always have those to reference back with notes that we take during this day. Uh, and we know exactly where those are. Once you're organized, you will want to think about how you're going to accept payment. So if you are on one of the big platforms like Rover and WAG, they already take care of this, so you don't have to worry about it. But if you are not, if you are independent and on your own, you will. You may want to do cash, whether it's upfront or 50% upfront or afterwards, or an app like Time to Pet will allow the client to pay through there. Or you could do PayPal. I've also heard of some people using Square for that as well. And Square is really nice because you can have that adapter plugged into your phone and you can accept and take credit cards right there uh, on the spot. But also keep in mind that PayPal and Square and maybe some other ones, they, they take a percentage out. So either charge the client, I think it's 3%. So either charge the client that 3% more or you can just take the cut off of your end. Now, this is assuming that you have done a meet and greet at this point because the client has agreed to have you render services. And we definitely recommend that you not do a sit unless you do some sort of meet and greet. And our meet and greet episode is episode number three. So you can go back and listen to that. After you've nailed the meet and greet and you've taken good notes, we typically will sit down and after a meet and greet debrief with one another about things that the client said that they mentioned, um, as opposed to trying to do it while the person is there, because that tends to be a little awkward sometimes. But that is something you can determine as to how comfortable you are or are not with. But we'll sit down and debrief about all the information that was given out, maybe ask some follow-up clarification questions through text or phone call, and put all that into a document. And you're going to review that to make sure that everything's there. You can also go above and beyond that and do some specific research on the exact breed or kind of dog that you're going to be sitting. Do they have some health concerns that may be specific to them? What about some typical behaviors that they may be seeing for that breed or maybe even young versus old dog? For instance, the Great Dane breed, they can have intestinal issues. It's a condition called bloat and torsion where the stomach actually twists on itself, trapping air inside and can have some very difficult and concerning consequences uh, up to and, con and including death. And if you don't know those signs or don't know to not play with the Great Dane um, that just after it's eaten and what to look out for. Um, or uh, you may even ask, has this been uh, corrected ahead of time? 
Uh, we have sat Great Danes in the past where the owners have had preventative surgery on this, where the stomach is actually tacked up inside so that it can't undergo this. Another thing that you're going to want to review is the alarm code. Has it been updated since they gave it to you last? Did you write it down correctly in the first place? So it, it might be a good idea to send the alarm code that you have written down to the owner and say, is this still the current alarm code before you try and go in and get the cops called on you? Also determine what the owner wants done with the poop. Do they want you or do they expect you to pick it up? If you do pick up, where should it go? Sometimes the owners won't tell us exactly and we can't figure out where the poop goes. So we will bring it home and throw put it, it away in our trash can, put it in our trash can because we can take care of that. That's not that big of a deal. I should clarify the dumpster out back, not our trash can in the pantry. <laughs> Have you checked the weather? Also, emergency contacts. We cover this all the time. They're very, very important that you want to have them programmed into your phone. Another component of emergency preparedness is being prepped mentally as well. So have your emergency plan in place. You want to be prepared for new or undisclosed dog behaviors, particularly bad ones. Often clients will say, yes, my dog is great, well-behaved, doesn't have accidents in the house. And then you come over to their house and they've peed everywhere or chewed something they haven't, or if the dog or cat comes over to your house and starts marking everywhere. Clients don't often know the bad behaviors that dogs exhibit because sometimes the dogs act out when the client leaves, or sometimes the client is just oblivious to these bad behaviors. Also, if you are house-sitting or doing drop-ins, be prepared for messes and clutter that you may have to clean or work around. We talked a little bit about this in our house-sitting and drop-in episode, but some clients are a little bit messy. Some clients are a lot of bit messy and they just don't see the clutter or the dirt or the dirty dishes or those kind of things in their home because they just live there and that's what it is to them. Be prepared to see that and be prepared to clean it up if you have to, to, to render the services that you're expected to. Also, if you've never done house sitting or drop-ins before, be prepared for an uneasy feeling of being in somebody else's home and the can be very kind of awkward and disconcerting, especially at nighttime, being in a new, unfamiliar location. It can kind of creep you out at times. But just know that going in, that those kind of feelings are normal and to be expected. And usually the first night is the worst, the roughest, because you don't know what to expect. There might be creaky sounds in the house, or the dog might be different than what you're used to. Just know that it can take an adjustment period. We reached out to our Facebook and Instagram followers to see what other sitters suggested. It recommended that you look at long-term growth versus just quote-unquote needing clients. Is the client that you're bringing on going to be a promoter or a detractor for your business? This gets into that conversation about good versus bad clients. How much of a headache could this person potentially be down the road and whether you want to retain them and keep them on or not. A common discussion when people are just starting out is that they tend to take on all of the possible clients that they can at any given time because they just feel like they need to grow more and more. Which is what we did. Which is absolutely what we did. And honestly, is probably what everybody does. But you're going to reach a point where you want to start really honing down and refining and bringing on and retaining quality clients. Because quality clients mean a quality of life for you. And keeps you sane. A lot of these comments focus on around thinking towards the future, which can be very hard to do when you're just starting out because there's so much going on in the here and now. But remembering that as you accept new clients, you're going to want to continue to wow them. So with this first client, 
really start thinking about all of the little extra things that you can, should, or maybe think about doing so that they can refer you to the next client and grow one client at a time. Don't worry about the next one. Think about what you have to deal with right now and wow them with your services so that they want to refer you. Because in this business, growing your client base is is almost exclusively word of mouth and referrals and recommendations. Along with the clients, think about what type of client you want. And it's okay if you have to say no to clients that you don't want. So if you only want to take small dogs, but you have a friend or a friend of a friend that has a large dog, it's okay to say no because you know that you are specifically targeting small clients. Like we mentioned, a lot of sitters at first want to take on everybody, and sometimes that's okay. But then kind of weeding out and focusing on who you want to pet sit for in the long term really helps you to stay sane and causes you less stress in the long term. Yeah, that big ugly word that nobody wants to say, no. N-O. It's okay to say no. As you're also starting out, another component to this is building relationships. After you get that first client, you can think about who else in the pet sitting community and where you live is an asset. Viewing others in the pet care profession as assets as opposed to detractors can really bolster and lift everybody up. So look at the other service providers in your area, whether they are groomers, pet shops, trainers, start making those connections now so that you can give recommendations to your clients in the future. If you start noticing some bad behaviors in their dog or cat, have a trainer's two cards in your back pocket that you can recommend that to them and you become an educational resource to the client. Because a lot of times as pet sitters and pet care professionals, we are a direct interface between the client and their pet needs because we see the, their pet sometimes a lot more than their clients during certain times of the year. We can be boots on the ground, eyes and ears for their pet care and make appropriate and good quality recommendations. Start building those contacts now. So another person had talked about establishing a sit routine, and that could include everything from the first time the person contacts you all the way up to the end of the stay and even after. So having that checklist of at the meet and greet, I ask these certain questions. And during this dog's stay, this is what I typically do, whether it's a house sit or a doggy daycare, making sure that the pup gets enough exercise and medication on time and the correct amount of food. Just having that checklist that you go down as you're with the pet. And then afterwards, knowing that there's still some things to wrap up at the end. Having this kind of routine and checklist can really help, especially if you are a nervous person or if you are uneasy around certain situations and circumstances. Or if you're not a people person, but you're a dog person. (laughs) Exactly. Where you want to make sure that you are continuing to provide a high quality level of service to everybody. And sometimes you're worried, did I remember to do the thing? Did I forget? What did I forget? Having a routine and checklist can help get rid of some of those anxieties you may have. Also, potentially having multiple meet and greets so that you can work out any kinks that you may have. And maybe even an overnight trial would help as well. I know we've done overnight trials, especially if the person is asking for them to, uh, for the dog to stay in our home for long periods of time. Doing one overnight a few weeks out and then another uh, just overnight much closer that everybody can, again, start looking into that routine. And then finally, we had a really great recommendation about evaluation. And I can't stress how important that this aspect is 
Megan mentioned it. Towards the end of the stay, you're going to think you're all done. You've turned in the keys. You've gotten paid. You've walked away. There is still the evaluation step. What went well? What didn't go well? Why? What did you have control over? Are there things that you can change to be more prepared next time? Should you have even taken on this client to begin with? Will you take them on again if they ask you? So do not underestimate or undervalue the evaluation step of after the stay is completed and everything's done, think about what happened and try to come up with ways to do better next time. And so with that, we wanted to talk about what makes a good pet sitter. And we have different lists. So my list... Not shocking. (laughs) My list consists of somebody who is uh, loyal, dependable, caring, somebody who's playful and is going to be active so that they can play with the dogs, somebody who's respectful of the dogs and the items in the client's house. That's very important. Has excellent reviews or at least testimonials from friends and family who have used this person in the past, and then being available. So if you travel a lot, your clients may go elsewhere if you're not available a lot. My list, um, somebody who is on time, communicative, lets you know they're running late before they're late. That's a really big pet peeve just in my daily life. And especially as a pet sitter, when somebody is running late, that, that's okay as long as they let you know about it beforehand because things happen. They greet your pet too. They don't just focus all their attention on you when they walk through the door. They take notes during the meet and greet or tell you that they will debrief afterwards and follow up with any questions that they have. They're upfront about their prices. Step one, that they know their prices and they are upfront about them and can communicate them effectively. They know their limits. This is so important. A pet sitter who doesn't overpromise and knows their limits throughout the day is very valuable because you want somebody that is is reliable and they can only be reliable if they know their limits and they're not overpromising and book themselves back to 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 back so that by the time they reach your dog or cat which may be at the end of their service they're completely worn out they're completely dragging the ground and aren't providing as good of a service as they are to that first client and then finally is honest about their schedule and other commitment. Gets back to what I was saying with that previous one. They can tell you how many people that they're sitting in a day, where you fall in that, or at least give you a range of expectations so that you know, am I the first client? Am I the last client? And is this person so crammed full that there's no possible way they're even getting two hours of sleep at night? Or on the other hand, if they have a full-time job and they don't let you know about that, and you want your dog with them all day or just checked on every two hours and they're not able to commit to that. Sure. You may have an anxious dog that requires somebody to be with them full time throughout the day and that doesn't come up in the conversation or it does and they don't say anything, but they have a full time job. And so your dog doesn't get to see somebody throughout the day and anxieties are high. We also ask other sitters what makes a good pet sitter and here are some of their responses. One person had said that they listen, they greet their pets, just like Colin had said, that they were genuinely interested in this job and that they know the dogs. They don't just like them and think they're cute, but they know dog behavior and know how to interact with dogs. Another person said that they meet personal expectations and have the same value and expected care. On this one, this tells you that clients have certain expectations and you as a sitter have certain expectations of who and what kind of clients you want to sit. 
sometimes those do not mesh. Sometimes you do not mesh well just based off of expectations. And that is fine. You as a sitter do not want to be trying to meet the expectations or values of somebody that you don't hold yourself. And the client doesn't want to hire somebody likewise. So if somebody says no, that's okay. They are looking for some very specific criteria. If you don't meet them, that's not a bad thing. Because there are always more clients and there are always more pets. Yes. So also someone who is going to work with the owner as a team member. So like we just talked about, you get a, you get a client and you mesh with them well. So you want to work with them as a team. This gets at the, the concern that will the sitter follow directions? Will the sitter do as I ask? And does the sitter have a, a genuine interest in the health and well-being of my pet? Not just this is another way to earn money, but somebody who is going to be observant, empathetic, that they are confident in their care and their abilities and will really come alongside the owner, providing outside resources and having a genuine care for how the pet is doing. But remember, though, you will never be able to please everybody or meet their expectations all the time. So it's really not even worth it to try. As the sitter, once again, we just said it earlier, you have the power to say no. No. You can be picky with your clients and choosy about what experiences you want to have because, yes, this is about the pets, but it's also for your enjoyment as well. So you need to look after yourself as well and what you want to take on. Focus on your strengths and you can seek out those areas of your strengths in the market to have the best fit for you and for the client. So now that the stay is over, let's think about what you'll need to be doing now. The first thing is following up with the client. So are you going to give a card at the end of the stay or after, mail it to them? Or are you going to give them a small gift? Some people like to do a little baggie of dog treats and a business card attached to it. When we were doing house sitting and a lot more, we would write out a, a card that had our our name and our contact information on it. I think it, we got it from Vistaprint. Yeah, we went to Vistaprint and had it printed out. So it had pictures of us with with dogs and our name and phone number on it. And it was a handwritten note about our stay and how much we appreciated their business and how much we would love to be able to have the opportunity to come back and sit for them again. And then we would sign it and we'd leave it on the counter with the keys or whatever else we were leaving there. We would also leave a few business cards next to the the notes so that they would be able to hand those out if somebody asked for a referral. The other daunting task of following up with a client is asking for a review. So how do you do this tactfully? So we typically will wait until the day after a stay is complete to reach out if they haven't left a review somewhere by that time. And that's okay. We understand. People are busy. I don't review every service that I get either, so we understand. But we'll reach out and we'll say something along the lines of, really wanted to thank you for the opportunity to sit Fifi during your time away. It was a true pleasure and honor, and we hope to be able to do it again sometime in the future. We would really appreciate a review on our website or and this way, this is the point where you can insert whatever social media platform you'd like and mention that it would really mean a lot to, to you and just leave it at that. You don't have to go on rambling about how it changes your search results or how you need to get rid of a one-star review that somebody left, but just put it out there and ask. And if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. And sometimes you just have to be okay with that. Now, if you are house-sitting or doing drop-ins, you will likely need to return the key. This is not the case if you have a code, but if you have a key, you will want to return it to them as soon as possible, as soon as they're ready. Sometimes owners ask you to leave it under the mat, but of course there are security concerns with that. This is often a step that's overlooked during a meet and greet or the first visit. 
where you're so excited that you get the key. And then at the end of the day, you go, oh, wait a minute. What do I do with this? Where do they want me to leave it? Do I put it under the mat? Do I just hold on to it? Or would they freak them out? How do I get it back to them? So definitely have that conversation before you get to this point. But sometimes it's okay. If both of you overlooked it at that point, just put it on that list of things to evaluate for next time of ask what to do with the key before the end of the stay. Also discussing anything bad that happened during the stay or any concerns that you have. And this can be a difficult thing to have a discussion with a client with. And this doesn't have to be just pet related. If there were concerns with the house that you were staying in as far as mechanically, or if you saw um, weird activity of strangers around in the area, you can report that to them so that they know what's going on. Giving them those kind of updates is just fine. And of course, also keeping them updated throughout this day as well. Now, if anything broke or is breaking or you have a concern about safety-wise, that is something to bring up as soon as you can during this day. But having a recap at the end of the stay about those things, reminding them that those happened or any bad behavior that the dog exhibited, you always want to make sure that you are communicating in an open and honest fashion with the owners. They will really appreciate it hearing about it from you firsthand, as opposed to a neighbor that witnessed something that happened, but you didn't report it. Following up with the client about payment, if they did not pay ahead of time, a lot of sitters will ask for payment beforehand, or at least 50% of the payment beforehand. Also, a lot of sitters will ask that 100% is paid by the start of the stay or they will not complete the stay at all. And this is often because a lot of people have been hurt by clients not paying fully or waiting several weeks afterwards. And so that's why it's important to have policies in place beforehand with the contract that they sign stating when payment is due because sometimes people just don't like to pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If the client has reached out to you and this is the first one and they want you to sit their pet and you don't have these policies in place, now is the time to get that done before the start of the stay so that you protect yourself. We've mentioned this a few times up until this point, but you want to debrief on the stay personally. So the very first question you ask with that is, would you care for that pet again? And that also for that client again, <laughs> would you care for it? It's because it's not just about the pet. It's also the client. Would you care for them again? Why or why not? And there can be many reasons for this. Does the client stress you out because they ask you how their pet is doing every 35 minutes throughout the entire day? That's not worth it for some people. I, we wouldn't take that person back on again if the client would not let us actually do our job and was constantly trying to keep in touch because of some anxieties that they had. It could also be because of bad behavior of the pet while it's in your care. Also thinking about what worked and what didn't work for you personally as a pet sitter, but also for the dog. So are there things that the owner said were going to happen or the things that the dog was supposed to do, but the dog didn't do? Then you can start thinking about what you liked about the stay. What, you, what did you like about the client? What did you like about the dog and what happened? Did you have good systems in place that you need to make sure that you remember to write down and systematize so that they are still there the next time? If something didn't go quite as according to plan, was it in your control to prevent or was it something completely out of your control? If it was in your control, how can you think about preventing it next time? So when we were house-sitting one time, the oven decided it was basically going to melt down. That was outside of our control. It was a bad thing that happened. 
there wasn't really anything we could change for next time other than, I guess, asking, is your oven going to melt down? That, that's, <laughs> that's not really a question you ask during most meet and greets. And so then finally reviewing any notes that you took during the stay and making sure that they're filed appropriately. So uh, some people will have a paper filing system in just regular standard file drawers. Others will do it all digitally. And having a system like Time to Pet, where you can, where it's all digital and it's all within the app, all of your notes and all of the dog behaviors is a great way to stay organized. Now, we've talked about a lot of stuff that can focus on you personally, but these are also things to instill in your employees if you have them, because they'll have a first day too. So whether you include things like this or more in your trainings, that's awesome. And making sure that they know that they need to check in with you as your employer to debrief and sit one-on-one and ask them, how did that go? How can I, as your employer, assist you better next time? What do you need from me? Or what education or training or things can we get in place to make sure that this is that, this, that these continue to go well and get better? So I think that wraps up everything that we wanted to talk about for having a client contact you and having a first stay. So next week, we are going to have the founder of Jetro Taxes on. He is the host of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. His name is Mike, and he's going to talk about your favorite subject taxes with the new year upon us. It is very important that we lock these down and get them out the door because nobody wants to deal with them. And the faster you can do it, the faster it's over with. You can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Petzer Confessional. We're also on Twitter at PS Confessional. If you haven't visited our website, it's PetzerConfessional.com. You'll find a ton of show notes and even rough transcripts of each and every single episode. And if you are not subscribed to this podcast and you just found us today, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We really genuinely appreciate it. Make sure you do subscribe wherever you listen. And if you would like, if you've gotten a lot out of this podcast, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it.